about like on God's heart to heal and how to heal the sick. I feel like we needed to stir some of this up again because there's just so many new faces. There's so many new faces. It's One of the weird things about the vineyard is uh, the vineyard in general changes about every four years because we have college kids who come and go. We have Amazon people who come and then go. And so we just, we're not the same church at all that we were four years ago. I hardly know any of you people. Where did you come from? But because of that, I felt like we needed to just uh, stir up this thing about healing again, do a little teaching, share God's heart. Because it's just in the DNA of who our church is and what we do. This church started on accident because uh, a couple people decided to pray for some, some ladies who had cancer. And out of that, completely on accident, grew this church. Uh, when, when the vineyard happened, no one got together saying, Hey, you know what we should do? We should plant a church. That didn't happen. It was just that some people had a heart, had a heart for the sick and began to pray for them. And then this, this grew out of it. So it's in our heart. It's in our DNA. And I feel like we just need to um, redig that well a little bit. So we're going to... Yeah. Yay. Sweet. Mm. Mm. Sweet. Sweet. For those of you guys who don't know, uh, John had brain surgery. I-, I laughed when I read the newspaper article. It said, minor brain surgery. And I'm like... Since when was any brain surgery minor? I mean, you're cutting through skull, right? I, mean, I was like, poor choice of words, whoever that was. But yeah, um, so we're just in this series of, of wanting to discover God's heart for healing again and how we can begin to partner with that. It's just, it's who this church is. It's what we do. We, we want to pray for the sick. We've seen really dramatic things over the years. And, um, and it's not come through uh, the experts. It's come through normal people who just decide to partner with God a little bit and just lay their hands on someone, 30-second prayer, something really amazing happens out of that. Uh, and the reason, the reason that we need, uh, the, the reason that the church uh, needs to be so devoted to, to praying for the sick is, for one, we talked about this a little, week, a little bit last week, but I want to recap. Uh, for one, uh, for, for all the fact, for everything that we have, uh, for the fact that we have really great doctors and we've got really great medicine and we've got really great protocols and... Even though we can make life-saving medicine out of jellyfish poison. Did you, I, I read that this week. I, that's really amazing. I, even though we can take deadly jellyfish that will kill you and take their poison and turn it into a medicine that can save you, even though we can do all of that, at the end of the day, we still have limitations. At the end of the day, people still die from cancer. At the end of the day, arthritis still hurts. And at the end of the day, for all of our smarts, we still have limitations. And because of that, it compels us to pray for the sick. So I just want to say this really clear. Here at the Vineyard, we're not anti-doctor and we're not anti-medicine. We are both and. It's not either or, it's both and. And so healing can come in a lot of different ways, but one of the ways that we've seen over and over again is that when really normal people, people like me and people like you, when not the experts decide to partner with God, some really dramatic things can happen. And we want to pray for the sick because sickness and disease... Chaos, decay, destruction, deformation, none of that. Anything that goes into those categories, none of that was ever in God's heart, ever, and still isn't in His heart. When God created the world and called it good, He wasn't joking. 
And, and there's no part of disease, and there's no part of sickness, and there's no part of death that was ever a part of God's heart, and still isn't. And because of that, we want to be the people who, who, have, captured, who have captured His redemption heart, and we want to be people who have captured His restoration heart, and His renewal heart, and His resurrection heart, to the point that we say, God, we want to partner with you to see things come back to Genesis, Genesis 1 goodness. That's what healing is all about. It's saying, God, I want to I partner with you to see everything and every person, all your creation and all your creatures, come back to Genesis 1 creation. Genesis 1 goodness. It's not been in God's heart. I mean, you realize there's that little, that little strange scripture in, in, uh, in the Old Testament when it talks about that the children of Israel are out wandering in the desert for 40 years and their shoes didn't wear out and the clothes didn't get old. You guys ever read that? You ever thought, wow, that's really weird, Right? What's that all about? Well, I mean, it's about a lot of things, but part of what it's about is that when you, is, part of what it's about is that with God, th- things don't break down. And so w- any place that things are breaking down, it's, it's obviously a part of, of life that is outside of whatever his original plan was. His people are constantly being renewed. And he performed a sign one time, and, and they walked around the desert for 40 years, and the shoes didn't, their sandals didn't even wear out. That's what, it, that's what the Lord's heart is. And so that's why we have a heart for healing. And so we pray for healing because we have a limitless God who wants to fill the void in life. And we pray for healing because God's dream is for all of His creation and all of His creatures to live a whole, complete, and free life. And we pray for healing because we partner with God to see His rule and reign established at every level. And when I talk about every level, we're not just talking about... We're talking about physical levels in our bodies. Like, if you have elbow pain this morning, God wants to release His kingdom, His rule, His reign into elbows this morning but not just elbows he wants to release them into hurt hearts he wants to release them into damaged minds it's it's wholeness at every level but it's not just wholeness on an individual level god wants to release wholeness at at a much wider level than that he wants to release wholeness that that actually injects justice into broken systems and broken institutions as well and so god's heart for healing is not just not just my elbow but god's heart for healing is so big that it goes it, goes, it covers the entire earth, but it isn't so big that it forgets to care for the elbow. I want us to see that. He cares about all of it. It's multidimensioned. And so when heaven came to earth in Jesus, Jesus went about sitting right every single wrong. That's why when you read the Gospels, you, you can't turn two pages in the Gospels without seeing Jesus heal a sick person, or kick a demon out of them. You, you, you can't. It's because when Jesus showed up, when Jesus showed up, heaven and earth met. Heaven and earth have never been so perfectly joined as they were in the persons of Jesus. And when Jesus showed up, he went about doing good. That's what Acts 10.38 says. And the good was always, always, always connected to healing the sick, releasing people oppressed from demonic oppression, and just good news for anybody who had an ear to hear. You realize that in the Gospels, no one who ever came to Jesus, sick or in need, was ever rejected. Ever. He received every person, every single sick and needy person who came to Jesus got healed. He never looked at a person and said, you know what? Your leprosy, God, we're using that. Me and the Father, we're using that in your life right now to teach you some lessons. You've been a real rat. And you've run everybody away from you, so we've given you leprosy so that you can't be with people. And then after you know how that feels for a while, then maybe we'll take it off. Right? I mean, but we think that, right? We think, you know, how many times have you heard people say, well, you know, I wouldn't trade my cancer for the world. I'm like, man, you need, you might want to rethink that. It's a bad deal. It's a really bad deal. So we, we want to pray for healing because it's the ministry that Jesus set about for. And the number one healing in all of life is, is for a, a, a person who's been running away from God, whether they know it or not, to turn around and run to God. That's the number one healing. But we, 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 what we understand is that God isn't just interested in turning people from running away from him to turning to running to him but he's interested in every single part of their life not just the part that will one day go to heaven or perhaps go to hell 
That's a big deal. So we want to we wanna pray for healing because it's Jesus' ministry. And then we also want to pray for healing. And I find this really interesting. Uh, we want to pray for healing because of the way in which Jesus set about doing his ministry. You realize that when the Son of God came to earth, I find this profoundly interesting. Son of God comes to earth, lives essentially 30 years in hiding. Okay? Maybe, maybe, maybe just a few people, you know, John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, Elizabeth. Maybe, maybe those guys kind of knew what was going on. And certainly Jesus' own family, even though for 30 years it's mostly hidden. And then maybe, maybe a few other people, you know, remember, you know, man, there's that crazy story. Mary said she was miraculously conceived with Jesus, but we don't believe that. It's crazy. We know that she was sleeping with Joseph before they got married. And, you know, so the, all this stuff is going on in Jesus' life for 30 years. And then Jesus begins to do ministry. Okay, he begins to heal the sick, begins to raise the dead, begins to cast out devils. He begins to just proclaim good news for anybody who has ears to hear it. But the thing that really is interesting to me is that the Son of God, perfectly God, perfectly a person, enmeshed together, only does what he sees the Father doing. The Son of God, the most powerful God to ever show up on the planet, the Son of God chose not to do any ministry alone. So why do we pray for the sick? Because the Son of God never chose to do any ministry alone. He chose the 12, and he, he said, effectively what he was saying is, I will not do this alone. My ministry, the ministry of bringing heaven to earth, the inbreaking of the kingdom, is not just an event for the Son of God. It is an event for the people who will follow me around. And that'd be you and I, right? I mean, we call ourselves Christians. We say we're followers of Jesus. So here's the deal. You can't say you're a follower of Jesus and not do the stuff that he did. You realize that the first century church, it would be a foreign, uh, illegal idea. It wouldn't even be in their mind that you could be somehow devoted to Jesus and not do the things that he did. Because from the very beginning, the thing that Jesus shows us is, I will not do anything. I will not heal the sick. I will not raise the dead. I will not preach the good news. I will not multiply food without taking people with me who will also do it. And you realize that every single one of the disciples ended up doing everything that Jesus did, catch this, and more. It's phenomenal. Like if Jesus healed the sick, they healed the sick. If Jesus raised the dead, they raised the dead. If Jesus multiplied, they multiplied. I especially love that, 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 that moment when Jesus multiplies bread and fish. All Jesus does is break bread and pray the prayer, and then who does he send to go divide it out? His disciples. There's something about co-laboring with God that always puts you and I right in the hot seat. And so we pray for the sick. Jesus had a bagel, they ate a bagel. And they ate bagels, they were good Jews, you know. Probably an everything bagel. They had garlic breath. So in the fact that we see that Jesus chooses the twelve, we can hear his call to us even now saying, come and follow me. But it's also really encouraging for me because when Jesus called the twelve, they were not significant people. This is also very interesting to me. The disciples became like Jesus. They didn't start like Jesus. They were all fishermen and country bumpkins And when they talked, they sounded like hicks. We know this because in Acts chapter 4, John and Peter are before the Sanhedrin and they're getting called to the carpet and they're thinking, who are these bumpkins? And they've been picked up by their accents. Over and over again, the disciples get known. They're just bumpkins. They were like like us. They They were like people from Adair County and Greene County. And Taylor County. They were mechanics. They were good old boys. They were river rats. They liked to go fishing on the weekend. They probably, they probably noodled catfish from underneath rocks. <laughs> so they started out as bumpkin fishermen from Greene County. And they became apostles who changed the world. And the, and the real key phrase there is became. There's something about being around Jesus that will change who you are. It will change what you do. You realize that Peter, 
the rock that the church is built upon was a fisherman who became an apostle who founded the church. Forever and forever in all of time, in all of history, the great cloud of witnesses will point to Peter and say, he started the church. He will, he will forever have honor as being the person who started the church. Bumpkin fisherman. And so it's really encouraging for me. There's nothing, there's nothing extraordinary about the disciples other than they had been with Jesus. That was the only thing that was extraordinary about them. So we pray for the sick. Because it was Jesus' ministry. And we pray for the sick because he didn't do it alone. He brought people in to the game. And I really love that Jesus chose really average men. He chose average men on purpose. And the reason he chose average men on purpose is because he could have gone and chose better people. Obviously, Jesus, he's the smartest guy who ever lived, by the way. Obviously, he would have, he would have known where to find maybe some better people. But he chose average people on purpose. And one of the things it demonstrates is, to God, your talents don't matter nearly as much as your willing heart. Like a, a willing heart before the Lord. Like, like, an, like an, a, a willing heart and a mind that doesn't have to understand every single part is so much more useful to the Lord. The heart that will, will continually say yes to Jesus, that's what really matters. Especially when it comes to praying for the sick and living a, a supernatural lifestyle. And so they all became like Jesus. And that word became, that's all about process. What that means is they learned. They learned how to heal the sick from Jesus. And this is one of the other things I love about the Gospels. And, I, and, and one of the reasons that we're going to take maybe a slightly different approach to praying for the sick or teaching that here at the Vineyard is I can find no place in the Scriptures. This is really great. I can find no place in the Scriptures where Jesus ever said, Disciples, take out your notepads. This is how you heal the sick. Step one, get some mud. <laughs> Step two, spit in it. See, one of the things you don't see from Jesus is he never, ever, he never teaches anybody how to do the stuff. I think this is really, really interesting. Jesus never taught his disciples how to kick out devils. Yet they all kicked out devils. Jesus never taught his disciples how to raise the dead. Yet his disciples raised the dead. What's the point? It's this old John Wimber phrase. Most stuff in the kingdom of heaven is caught rather than taught. You, you get around it. You get around somebody who's doing it. You just sit in the room. I can't tell you how many times I've seen people learn something from just being next to the person who does it. It's like old school apprenticeship. You want to be a blacksmith? You don't go study blacksmith books. You hang out with a blacksmith. Watch him throw something in the iron, in the fire. Watch him beat it with a hammer. Then one day he just says, beat it with a hammer. (laughs) Right? Right. That's how it works in the kingdom of heaven. So they learned. And and that may be a a new phrase for some of us when when it comes to living a supernatural lifestyle. Did you know that you can learn how to heal the sick? Did you know that you can learn how to live in the supernatural way that Jesus lived? Did you know that there are certain parts of, uh, of... of Jesus's ministry. In fact, all parts of Jesus's ministry, which are actually open and available to every single person, even really average men and women, they're open and available for us to learn. You're not, you're, you don't have to be born with it. Like a lot of times we think, oh, well, the really super, super spiritual stuff, you're born with that. Either, either you get it or you don't. And if you don't, then you can never get it. Can I tell you what something? That's complete trash. That's complete trash. Um, at least, let me put it this way. Maybe it'll be a little more clear for you. Um, oh, the, I'm, I'm trying to be a little more clear. Speak for a living. Um, a lot of times we do this, let's just take it out of like healing the sick or any sort of supernatural ministry at all. We'll just take it right out. 
let's move it into like music, okay? And we, and we think of musicians and we go, oh, they have a gift, right? How many times have you said that? Or, and if you're a musician, how many times has someone come up to you and they've said, oh, you have an incredible gift? That's about half true. You know what musicians have that other people don't have? It's even something more fundamental than rehearsal hours. It's desire. See, when I started playing guitar, I was the worst guitar player on the planet. See, I'm naturally left-handed, but I taught myself how to play right-handed because I didn't want to, I never wanted to have that ridiculous moment where I didn't bring my guitar and I wanted to play, but I couldn't because there's not a left-handed instrument around. So I taught myself how to play right-handed, and because I did that, I literally set myself back years. I mean, I was terrible. I mean, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't change chords. I I just had to, I I fought my own body, and I fought my own instincts to learn how to play guitar. And I'm by far, right now, I'm, I'm, I'm still not a great guitar player, but occasionally people will come and say, wow, you can really play guitar. You have a great gift. And, I, and I, what, I, what I really have is I have desire bigger than my inabilities. That's what I really have, is I have desire. So how do we learn? We learn by desire. I, I still think it's one of the most prophetic statements in all the Scripture. When God says to Adam and Eve, here's what I want you guys to do. I want you to, I want you to rule the earth and subdue it. I want you to, to, I want you to multiply and he gives them this great command. It's the first like, real interaction we have in the scriptures for Adam and Eve and God. And he doesn't tell them how to do it. But we're all here, so we know they did it. So how did Adam and Eve multiply and reproduce? How did they know? There was no awkward conversations. There were no diagrams. God didn't sit down one day and go, well, you know... They operated out of desire. And that's one of the ways we begin to learn. We begin to learn these things. It's just, it's from the ministry that happens on the inside. It's just the natural desire because desire opens doors. In the kingdom of heaven, desire opens every door. Trying, just, just, just like desire and trying will open so many doors in the kingdom of heaven. Just trying it out. But then also... Um, it's, re- it's really it's, this is one of those things that's also very encouraging to me is that so many parts of the supernatural lifestyle are learned in a natural way you know did you realize that you can learn how to prophesy you don't have to be born a prophetic person you can learn how to prophesy see a, l- a lot of times we think oh you have to learn like, you can't learn that stuff you're, e- you're just born with it or you, know, you get it or you don't it's not true it's not true one of the ways I know that's not true is um, in Romans chapter 12, it says, it, it's one of the first times in the New Testament that like, gifts of the Spirit are talked about. And Paul, he's, he's saying, well, you know what? If you've, got, if you've got a gift of teaching, then you should exercise your gift of teaching in accordance with your faith. And if you've got gifts of service, then you should exercise your gift to serve in accordance with your faith. And if you can prophesy, then let a man prophesy in accordance with his faith. How many of you know that you can learn how to teach? That doesn't strike any of us weird, right? How many of us don't know that you can learn how to serve? Quit being a jerk and serve. Step one. Yeah. And, and prophecy is in the same gift, the same list as the gifts that we all know that we can learn, right? Yeah. I didn't... Just not doing very good this morning. Not only that, but there's a scripture in Titus right along this, with this idea of becoming and learning. Why don't you put it up? It's in Titus chapter 2, 11, 12, and 13. And look, this is, a, this is a scripture about the grace of God, okay? We all, have, we all have an understanding that has been given to us about what the grace of God is. And this scripture turns it on head for most of us. This is what he says. He says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. That doesn't rattle any cages. That's what we all, we all have grown up learning about the grace of God. It brings salvation. It wipes away all of our sin, our guilt, and our shame. And then look at verse 12. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. What teaches us to say, God, to, what teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions? 
Grace. What? Grace? I thought grace was just a get out of hell free card. One of the things that we learn here is that there's an aspect of grace that teaches. Grace that teaches. Grace isn't just a get out of hell free card. It's it's the energy. It's the engine. It's the yeast that causes transformation. And it completely changes who we are all the way through. So we're healing. We are committed to healing because number one, we live in a world with limitations. Number two, it's an essential part of the gospel. It's an essential part of the good news. Here's the deal. If you take healing in all of its forms out of the gospel, you barely have the good news anymore. You have something, but it's it's like it's like I said last week. It's like when you're making peanut butter cookies and you take the sugar out and you forget it and you just add the salt in for the sugar. Anybody ever made that mistake? It looks the same, but it tastes like garbage. That's what happens when we take healing out of the gospel. It's, it's part of the good news. You can't leave it out. Number three, we are committed to healing because death and sickness and rot and decay were never part of God's plan. His plan was fellowship. His plan was a, a beautiful garden cultivated by Adam. People, not just me. His plan was co-reigning. And number four, Jesus has this knack of training all of his disciples to do the things that he has done. And when we begin to pray for the sick, when we become committed to healing ministry, when we become committed to being the kind of people who, who, are, uh, who are interested in bringing healing into all dimensions of life and into all dimensions of a person, body, soul, and spirit, when we're committed to that, what we've actually done is, without even knowing it, we have taken Jesus's light burden and easy yoke and we've placed it upon us and we've become his disciple. See, one of the things that the scripture says about Jesus in second in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says that it says that Jesus is the second Adam. It says that Jesus is the second Adam. It's back to this idea that God wants to bring everything back to Genesis 1. Jesus is the second Adam. Did you guys ever read in the Gospels uh, uh, when Jesus was resurrected uh, and he's in the garden and Mary meets him? And who does she think he is? The gardener. Anybody ever thought, that's just weird, right? How many times do you come to this garden? You know the gardener? I've always thought, what is this really strange thing? Why would she think Jesus is the gardener? Because he's the second Adam and he's going to take everything back to Genesis 1 creation. It was a prophetic moment. He's the gardener. You want to be his disciple? You become a gardener. And right now, one of the main things that gardeners do in the earth is pull out the weeds and cultivate the good. See, Jesus' resurrection unleashed a worldwide movement to set all things to new, even dead bodies. And in John chapter 20, he breathed the breath of life on their faces. Y'all remember that moment? In John chapter 20, Jesus is with his disciples. They're all freaked out. It's resurrected Jesus. He's just walked through a wall. Like resurrected Jesus, you've got to watch out. He walks through walls, man. But he's got a body. You could... It's not a spirit. It's a body that you could smack and it walks through walls. I'm looking forward to that. Really strange moment, though. Disciples are around him, and it says that Jesus comes up to him and says, Hey, guys, come here real close. And they're like, Okay. And everyone's a little bit afraid. And then it says that he exhaled and breathed the breath of life on them. It said, Receive the Holy Spirit. What does that sound like? Sounds like creation to me. It was a recreation moment. It's Jesus, the gardener, the resurrected Lord, taking everything back, renewing, resurrecting, rebirth on everything, right down to hurt elbows cancerous tumors broken minds emotions that are whacked out everything and so if we're going to be Jesus' disciples one of the things we do is we've taken his yoke upon us to become gardeners see one of the ways that we look at healing is healing in a New Testament kingdom of God sense is it's the removal of the serpent's lie and here's the thing the serpent has lied to everyone in the room about a lot of stuff 
healing is, is the removal of the serpent's lie. We go through, we find those snakes, and we kill them. Last week, there was a snake laying up on my, at my house, laying up on our, right in front of the, right in front of the door. I wasn't, hu- I wasn't home, but I heard about this. <laughs> Heather goes home, she's by herself, she, you know, out of the car, and there's like three steps up to the porch, and then in the house, and you know, one point three, and like right before you go in the house, there's a snake, you know. Makes Heather mad. She runs in, grabs the butcher knife, and starts chasing that snake around the yard. Do not mess with my wife. She looks friendly. She's really good with a knife. So what about us? What about us? So if we're disciples, we're called to this kind of life. We're called to see God's rule and reign. We're called to see His healing touch every part of life. Had you open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 4, I want to look at just a few verses here in Luke. We've we got to look closely at Jesus' life because it's the pattern. In Luke chapter 4, look at verse 14. We want to look at just a few scriptures here. We're going to capture just a few things that I feel like the Holy Spirit wants to show us this morning when it comes to being a healing person. Give you a little backstory on this up to this point. This is the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. Right now he's in his hometown. Jesus has basically been in seclusion for 30 years. Just a few days before, Jesus is out and he runs into John the Baptist. John the Baptist says, hey, there's the Lamb of God. He takes away the sin of the world. Jesus gets baptized in water. But it's more than water baptism at this point. It's, for, it's, it's actually Holy Spirit baptism because when Jesus comes out of the water, y'all remember the dove comes down on him, but it doesn't just come down on him for a little bit. It comes down and remains. And then the Father speaks his approval over Jesus. Okay, That's mostly what the baptism of the Spirit is about. It's about the overwhelming flood of the Spirit and the Father's approval on your life. That's what it's about. And so Jesus comes out of that experience and he goes into the desert where he's full of the Holy Spirit and he gets tempted by the devil and the devil says, hey, why don't you take rocks and make bread? Why don't you jump off a building? Why don't you bow down to me? I'll give you everything. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. I'm not going to do that. And then finally, it says that Jesus comes out of the desert. And I love this. Verse 14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and news about him spread through the whole countryside. And he taught in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. That's the hometown. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom, and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. I love this. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. I like to imagine Jesus like taking this scroll and going, no, 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 that's not what I'm looking for. Like, how, how far would you have to unroll? That's what I wanted to know. How would you know? Right? That's the stuff I think about when I read the Bible. And he comes to this verse. He finally finds, he's like, yes, this is the spot. And he says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's how Jesus kicked it off. Kind of goes downhill after that. Everyone's like, yes, this is really great. And then they're like, wait, dude, he made a table for me. Like, you just build chairs, Jesus. You can't go and do this stuff. And so they end up trying to run him out of town. That's another story for another day. So what does this have to do with us? A couple things. Uh, Number one, and it has to do... this is, from, this is mostly for us as a, as a community of people. But the kingdom of heaven is always inaugurated with an announcement. So Jesus begins his ministry with an announcement. And he begins it by reading out of, out of the book of Isaiah. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And here's the deal. When Jesus read this to the people, when he preached this sermon to his hometown people, it wasn't, he wasn't just saying it to them in that room, though he was. He wasn't just saying it to them. He was saying it to all people everywhere, and he was saying it to spirits and powers of the air, and everything that was listening in, he was declaring that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, 
It is coming very close. It is here in the room, right here, right now. The thing that you thought was a million miles away, the thing that you thought you had to die to get in for, actually showed up while you're alive and it's here in front of you right now. So what's the point? The point is, there's an aspect of healing that only comes when we proclaim the kingdom. And here's a really important point. Uh, Proclamation. Proclamation doesn't mean teaching. It isn't as though Jesus is like, now get out your study Bibles and I want you to take out some notes and I'm going to teach you how the kingdom had to come. And you understand that Jesus did that sometimes, but there's, a, there's an aspect of his ministry that was, that was sometimes beyond teaching and it was just a proclamation. It was, it was not up for debate. It wasn't even something that was up for learning. It was just that God had come into the room. And so one part of us being a healing community when it comes to ministering in power and when it comes to ministering the kingdom of God is that we are called to be a people who just simply proclaim that God and His kingdom has come in the room even today, even this morning. Proclamation. So here's what Jesus came to do. He came to preach good news to the poor. And when He said, I've come to preach good news to the poor, He meant actual poor people. And He also meant people who were not poor. Because biblically speaking... Poverty has more to do with being separated from God and living in your own strength than it does just how much money is in your bank account. Jesus came for the down and outs and the up and outs. So he said, I came to preach good news to the poor. I I came to proclaim freedom for prisoners. And by that, he meant people who were actually in prison. And he also meant people who were in prison to sin. And he also meant people who were in prison to religious institutions. All kinds of prison. And then he says, I've come to pass out recovery of sight for the blind. And he meant actual sight. He meant actual, actual sight. He meant actual blind people who couldn't see. That if you were to turn them loose on the road, they would get run over. Those people. That, he meant those guys. And he also meant people whose hearts were blinded because of sin. He says, I've come to release the oppressed. And by that he meant people who were oppressed by Rome and he also meant people who were afflicted by the devil and this is one of the things that we need to catch because we're so far removed from it the ancient Hebrew mind didn't divide spiritual and non-spiritual there was no division between secular and sacred everything was everything and so if a people were oppressed by Rome they were oppressed by the devil you could they just understood that if we are oppressed and not living in our destiny, then we're oppressed by the devil. It's all the same thing. We tend to think, we read these passages when Jesus says, I've come to give sight to the blind. We, come, we tend to think, oh, Jesus just means like people's hearts are blinded by sin. No, he means blind eyes and people's hearts who are blinded by sin. It's all the same. It all comes from the same root anyway. We catching that? I'm back to using this voice, and I don't even know where it came from. (laughs) See, again, the point is that Jesus came for complete and total healing at every level of a person and in every society. See, when people are oppressed by the devil, it often looks like religious institutions and governments that abuse them. Jesus was talking about healing bodies and bringing justice. Jesus was talking about praying for the sick who were about to die, and he was also talking about bringing justice to abused and oppressed people. He was talking about people who were trapped in sex, sex slavery. He's talking about people, uh, he's talking about unborn babies who are being aborted faster and faster. I read some really startling stuff about three weeks ago. This is about, this is about America. Um, right now in America, in the last... The the latest research shows in the last four years, 56% of all abortions happen to Christian girls. Happen isn't the right word. Most abortions are coming from Christian households. That's the way for me to say it. 56%. Last year, Christians aborted 650,000 babies. Yeah. And when Jesus says, I've come to release the oppressed... He's talking about that. And when we, begin, when we begin to have a justice heart for that, we've taken upon us his yoke. 
And so this has got to become our cry as well. It's really the cry of, oh God, would you please use me? That's really the cry. I love what St. Francis used to say. He says, part of his preaching was, we've been called to heal wounds, unite what has fallen apart, and bring home those who have lost their way. That's what Jesus was talking about. So it's healing in every direction. It's inner and outer. It's people and social. Now if you want to, I want you to flip in your Bible back to Isaiah 61. Because when Jesus was preaching this message, he was really preaching out of Isaiah 61. And what we get here is just like the shortened version of what he really read. There's two things I want us to grab here. will sound really familiar but in some ways it's different and I want you to notice I want you to notice some of the differences because they're actually pretty important Isaiah 61 says the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor he sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives to release dark re- release from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow upon them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of despair. And they'll be called oaks oaks of righteousness, a planning for the Lord, or the display of His splendor. That's kind of good, isn't it? Now, you guys kind of remember what Jesus said when He was preaching this sermon? Y'all remember that part about, like, recovery of sight for the blind? It's actually not in here. What's up with Jesus? Is He changing the Bible? No, I actually don't think he was. Though if he did, he has the right. He is the Son of God. <laughs> right? No, I actually think Jesus was preaching, and I think he inserted something that actually wasn't here because he wants to underscore that this isn't just about invisible spiritual stuff. It's about physical realities. <laughs> but beyond that, what about us, and what do we need to do? Well, the first thing we need to do first thing that we need to be a part of is actually verse 1 in Isaiah 61 here. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. See, the anointing, the anointing is equal to the Spirit of the Lord being upon our lives. And when the Spirit of the Lord is upon our lives, then all of these things can happen. Power is upon our lives. So if we're going to be a a healing community, if we're going to be a, a community who takes seriously Jesus' lifestyle. If we're going to be a community that does the things that Jesus does, then we need to be anointed in the way that Jesus was anointed. Isaiah 61 begins with anointing. Jesus' first message to his hometown begins with anointing. How did he do the stuff? He did it because he was anointed. And so this morning, one of the things that we're going to ask the Spirit of God to do at the end of the meeting is, for anyone who wants, we're going to ask him to anoint us so that we can do the stuff. Here's the deal. I've tried to do things without being anointed. It sucks. (laughs) Greatly. And then the second part has to do with this rhythm. There's a rhythm here in Isaiah 61 that's really noticeable. And it's something that God wants to set our church into and it's the rhythm of proclamation I want you to notice this look at this verse, verse 1 the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor preaching is proclamation and then look at the second part here preach good news to the poor proclaim then he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. what is that? it's to do the stuff right? so we're going to proclaim good news to the poor and then we're going to do. And then look at the, the next line. To proclaim freedom for the captives. And then the next line. To release from darkness those who are in prison. So there's this back and forth. We're going to proclaim and then we're going to do. We're going to proclaim and then we're going to do. In verse 2. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And the day of vengeance of our God. 
And then what do we do? To comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion. It's back and forth. The community here at the Vineyard, we have to be a community that is proclaiming the goodness of God, His kindness to everyone everywhere, and at the same time, going and doing it. We get proclamation. We, these are the non-negotiables of the kingdom, and then we do it. And this isn't necessarily teaching either. This is, this is an announcement. You might be thinking, well, an announcement to who? It's an announcement to everybody who's in the room, and it's an announcement to our whole community, and then beyond that, it's an announcement to the powers of the air that the kingdom of heaven is breaking in, it's close, it's at hand, and God's here to restore everything that's broken. Amen? So it's preach and bind up, proclaim and release prisoners, proclaim and comfort all those who mourn, provide and bestow. And that's one of the second things we're going to do this morning is we're going to, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to ask God to anoint those who want a greater anointing. And then the second thing we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to make a proclamation over this church and over our community and actually just over the whole region, if that's okay with you guys. See, this is the reason that proclamation is so important. You can't just go do stuff in the kingdom of heaven. Doing has to be accompanied by proclamation, Okay. At the same time, you can't just proclaim without doing. If you leave one side off, you're, you're robbing somebody, okay? Why do we have to proclaim? Well, we have to proclaim because it's words that create realities. Genesis chapter 1, it's this whole thing of God wants to take things back to the garden. Genesis chapter 1, God spoke the worlds with words. There's something about, there's something about wor- words that open up territories. And so we're going to proclaim healing and we're going to proclaim freedom and then we're going to go do it. There's something, about, there's something about words that actually blaze trails even before you get there. How does that happen? Well, it happens like this, and a lot of you guys know this. Um, it, starts with, it starts with just the seed. It starts with desire and it starts with dream. You will dream about something and after you dream about something in silence and in solitude for long enough, you will eventually begin to talk about it. And then after you talk about it to everybody around you and you're driving them crazy with it, then you begin to do it, right? I mean, I know this is how it was when Heather and I built a house. It was a dream in my heart. Nobody knew it except for me and my wife. No, it wasn't a unique dream. It was a dream that's common to everybody in the room. It's common to want to have a family. It's common to want to have a house. It's common to want to have property. But I began to dream about this property. And I had a dream with Heather that was, uh, even before we got married, there's a piece of property out on Roachville that I wanted. And we would drive while we were dating. We would drive and we would stop the little car in front of it and we'd go, it would be awesome to live there one day. But in my heart, I'm going, it'll never happen. It's so weird. I go, it'll, it's too good. It'll never happen. But in my heart, I go, I, oh, I want that. And she and I would talk about it, just the two of us. Then we got married. And then after several years of marriage, this thing came in my heart where I wanted a house. And then I started talking to her about wanting a house. And she would talk to me about it. And I would talk to her about it. And then I talked to my brother-in-law who was a builder. And I said, I want a house. I don't have any financing. I have no money. But I want a house. I want a house. And it's going to be like this. It's going to have this. It's going to be white. And it's going to be a porch. And there's going to be a pergola on the back. And I'm going to have a place to grill. I'm dreaming. And then I'm speaking it out. And then one day, we do it. We just do it. Do it. Don't think about it. Do it. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah, see, we need to proclaim because we will proclaim what we actually believe and we will proclaim what, we, what is most important to us. Our proclamations come from the desires in our heart. And we need to proclaim because so many people are living depressed and oppressed lives because they feel like God is mostly uninterested or perhaps the predicament they found themselves in is God's plan for their life or even worse than that, He's judging them and He's turned their back on them and proclamation breaks that off in a moment and it causes hope to come up so that faith can begin to operate and people can get touched. You know, it's so important. We can't just be people who, who go and do things in secret. We've got to be people who are proclaiming and doing. At the same time, we can't be people who say stuff without doing it either. See, if we, if whatever we proclaim, we've actually just entered into a contract with heaven to go and do it. Serious business. And that contract has Jesus' blood 
on it. You know? Don't shout me down because I'm preaching good. Oh. See, proclamation actually requires demonstration. Uh, so here's what I want to do this morning. Why don't, you, why don't you do this? Why don't you just stand up? I have a proclamation that I want to declare over this house and over our region. And if you guys could agree with me, that would be great. Is that cool? Uh, yeah, we're, we're going into attack mode now. Yeah, we're going into attack mode. We're all, we're all pit bulls, and the father just took the log chain off. Sorry if you're an animal person. Yeah, I've got a proclamation here, and then after that, I want to invite anybody who feels like they just need more anointing to be like Jesus, come up, and we want to pray for you as well. But we just want to proclaim this over our church and over our city and over our region. Father, just in the name of Jesus, we proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that it is good news for everyone. It is good news for the poor. It is good news for the broken. And it is good news for the abused. And we proclaim that God's goodness is breaking in like a thief through the back door. Sudden and unexpected. And we proclaim that over Taylor County, Greene County, and Adair Counties, and over Central Kentucky, that the glory of the Lord is falling like spring rain, and that a crop of freedom will emerge. And we proclaim that cancer must die, and that pain must flee, and that autoimmune disorders must bend their knees to the name of Jesus. And we proclaim that this house will be a house of healing, a refuge for broken bodies, for broken minds, and for broken hearts. And we proclaim that a great light is rising like the sun over our city, and that dark powers, you have lost your, camp, you have lost your grip. We proclaim that hope larger than despair, faith bigger than unbelief, and light brighter than darkness, and joy deeper than circumstances is at, is at hand. It is near. Amen. That's kind of fun.